This is the Living in Clarity podcast, and today we're going to continue our series of introducing some of the students of Asia Torah, yeah. uh, where I'm a student, coach is a teacher, and uh, this is really exciting because Andrew Harmon is one of my closest friends here. We were in quarantine when we arrived together, yeah. um, and now we're both still here after a little bit over a year and a yeah. half. So Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. I eat, uh, I eat breakfast every day with Brandon, <laughs> and on Fridays we go running and play frisbee golf. So. Oh, good for you. You have That's a good right. routine. Yeah. He's really good. I'm yeah. still figuring it out. So tell us, how'd you get here? Um, I got here. Wow. Um, <laughs> so I decided to come after college. Yeah. I wanted to graduate first and then come to Yeshiva. So yeah, I was stuck. Uh, the country was closed and there was a week of opening and I was waiting for a few months and the country opened and I flew over here. And So y- when you were like 10 years old, you said, I want to go to Yeshiva. <laughs> For sure not. Okay. <laughs> so how how did um, your life change the point where you wanted to come to Yeshiva? Yeah, where, where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Philly. Uh, my number one plan was to be an NFL quarterback. Yeah. After that, I think uh, baseball was probably second. Right. Um, soccer, like they don't get paid so well in the U.S., but <laughs> it was it was in the options. Um, and then my plan D was engineer, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so I grew up like very secular. Um, I was a pretty passionate atheist in high school and uh-huh. college. Um, and then I had a roommate, um, in college. He was the first person I met in college, actually. And, um, Where'd you go to school? University of Pittsburgh. Okay. And he is really the one that started shaking things up for me. He really made me question a lot. And I eventually got, um, he's a religious Christian and he eventually got me so curious. I decided I, I wanted to meet an Orthodox rabbi. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. And how much of a change was that from your atheist days to, to the curiosity in retrospect, it happened very quickly, but it's it always seemed like one step at a time, or just like oh, just one more thing, one more change, one more this. Um, was it meaning that you wanted to meet the Orthodox Rabbi for you to like to tell him that you're right and he's wrong, or did you were just curious? It was both. Okay, I had um, I was really starting to see like my life, how how different my life was than my roommates, and like all these things that I thought like were supposed to make you happy, like his friends didn't do those things. And they were happy. <laughs> and like, I think my friends were kind of doing all right, but like, they weren't that happy. Um, so I just, I, I wanted to figure out what was going on. Um, what drugs were they taking? Yeah, they looked pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I was, as much as I was an atheist, I was still a Jewish atheist. So there was a whole another much bigger bridge to go from Judaism to Christianity. So I figured I'll start with Judaism. And I grew up like reform, so I knew like I knew what reform was, and like I knew that wasn't what I was looking for. So I just Googled Orthodox synagogue, and I found Shar Shar Torah, and it said Torah in the name, so I figured it was <laughs> Orthodox. Wow. And I showed up on a Wednesday night because they had a class on the website, and um, the class had been canceled. But I met someone outside that like was new to the community, didn't know it was canceled. He led me to the community kollel, and it was like a, a rabbi triage unit at the yeah. at the kollel. They're like, you know, who are you? What are you? What are you doing? You want to like, you want to go to my class on Hilchos Pesach? And I was like, what's a Hilchos? (laughs) (laughs) What's Pesach? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so they were like, okay, we have the rabbi for you. And it was uh, Rabbi Cook, who was uh, here at Ace for seven years. Seth Cook. Yeah. So at that point, I was still like, I was still an atheist. Like, but I just like, like, I felt like I was a genius because like I had figured out that I think a rabbi has something to tell me. Yeah. (laughs) And like, 
obviously I'm going to try to get this guy out of this cult. But at the same time, I want to learn something from him. Right. <laughs> and I failed to get him out of the cult. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're part of it. And now and here I'm he is. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. What, what were those initial discussions like? Um, he, he's very, um, at least with me, I guess maybe sensitive about me, but he, he was very to the point of like, okay, we're going to start by God's, God's real. And like, cause otherwise what are we doing here? Like he didn't, he didn't like whine and die me or uh, it wasn't uh-huh. fun. Like he was yeah. just like, I'm going to prove to you that the tour is true. And I'm like, good luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, they were very, he gave me like, uh, the first session he gave me a packet about the big bang and a packet about evolution. And I was like, I thought you guys like didn't had never like heard of these things. Yeah. Like, what do you, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it was like pretty accurate description of the big bang. Like, so you, okay, you kind of know what's going on. Like I'm, I'm like an engine, I'm an engineer. Right. So like I have some science, I'm into science. Right. Like I was like, okay, this rabbi kind of knows what he's talking about. It was, it was and, a little and weird. And you took a Bible criticism class in college, right? That was actually after. Oh, it was after college. Yeah. This was, that was like my sanity check. I was oh, like, okay. <laughs> like, this is all great, but like, obviously, once I take a university class, like, I'm gonna learn some stuff, and I didn't learn anything. So <laughs> I was pretty convinced. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. So we started as very just like, this is why evolution. Like, there's cash, like there's problems with evolution, um, problems with the Big Bang, like, um, and how we see that like these, the way like life exists on Earth, and the way the Big Bang actually played out actually proves God's existence. Um, and so I just started like sitting on those and munching those questions. Like I would come in with like notebook sheets of like questions. Like you didn't think of this. You didn't think of this. Like, don't you know? Like, and he had thought through it. Like he, <laughs> he had stood up and like, I came up with answers to my own questions. Um, and then he, once we kind of established that basic framework of like infinity exists, it was like, okay, now where does the Torah fit in? Like, um, and so he, he brought me through like the national revelation argument. And I, I munched on that for like a couple months. Like I was asking everyone, like, please, please tell me there's an answer to this question. <laughs> I do, I do not want to have to follow the Torah. Like, <laughs> please tell me it can just be made up by some guy. And it's like, no, it, it can't. Like, you follow the national religion argument. It's like I asked my dad, I was like, how did this happen? Like, how do you explain the, like the national revolution? Like, um, it's like I don't know, some guy made it up. It's like, no, that's that's the whole point. Is it can't just be that one guy made it up. Like, just that the idea that like, like every Passover. We celebrate Passover, and no one has ever said in the history of Judaism any other reason for why they celebrate Passover except their father celebrated Passover. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, actually, at this point, I wasn't in a Bible criticism class. I was in a mathematical, like computer logic class, right. and we were doing this kind of thing of like sets, where like each stage points to the next stage, and like right. how to prove like sets and things and the eventual outcomes. And um, I was like, yeah, like okay, everyone only claimed just that their father celebrated Passover, except for the people that actually witnessed Passover. Those are the only people yeah. that ever claimed to not have their father celebrate ca- Passover. So I was like, how does this work? Like how? Um, and then he took me through this whole argument. I was like, oh, this is tough. And then he, at the very end of this whole like period of teaching, he showed me in Deuteronomy where it says why you should believe in the Torah. It says the Torah, if you want to know why you should believe in the Torah, the Torah tells you. It's because it says like who who like there'll come a day like when you'll wonder if these eventually happen and said says just think like is there did anyone ever claim such an event it doesn't even say did any any event ever happen just does anyone ever even claim it like does anyone ever claim to have had a whole nation talk to god and live and And no 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 one has ever claimed that no no really i shocking 
It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just have to you just have to claim it to distribute. But no one No one's <laughs> even claimed it ever. <laughs> no one's even claimed it. Um so we're the ones that claim it. I was like, wow. Like to to not only see that like Rabbi Cook had come out with this amazing argument for the Torah, but that that was the Torah's argument for the Torah. Yeah. It was just like even like another level of like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to start doing this. Yeah. So national revelation is when Mo- God spoke to the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. And he, he, just so our listeners know, he spoke the first two commandments and then the rest were transmitted to Moshe, then transmitted to the Jewish people. But it's a circumstance, uh, it's a situation of three million witnesses. Pe- three, mil- three, mil- three million people heard God speak on Mount Sinai. The only time God spoke to the whole nation at one time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so then that, that was when, like, I felt like an intellectual responsibility. And then um, a few, m- like, a year later, um, I, start, I started keeping Shabbos and keeping kosher, but I was, like, kind of struggling with it. And um, especially, like, peer pressure and, like, my extended family was not on board. Yeah, it's hard. Um, mm-hmm. But then I took a trip to Poland, and, like, that's what got my emotions into it. And I was like, mm. forget this. Like, I'm, I'm not letting anything <laughs> get between me and Judaism. Right. Like, I am doing this, and, like, I just got a, a much better sense for like the stakes, like, right. um, like I heard about like the tragedy of the Holocaust, but like, it was the first time I ever got in touch with like what the communities like r- were before. Like, in, until you know what was there, you don't really know what happened. Like, okay, six million people died, but like, you don't really think of like, oh, what what were those six million people doing? Mm-hmm. Like, w- mm-hmm. what did we lose that they were doing? And like, we saw towns and yeshivas and cities and like. I was like, man, I, I wish I could live here. Like, I wish I could be in this, but it's gone. And, like, uh, once I felt that, um, yeah, a couple other realizations. Like, one was um, I, I learned, actually, and I read a few books about the Holocaust at that point, too, and I learned that basically from Europe, which was the center of, it was the most vibrant Jewish region in the world, Basically, only 22-year-olds survived. If you were younger than 22, you weren't strong enough to make it out. And if you were older than 22, you had kids and you died trying to save them. Right. So 22-year-olds were the only ones that made it out. Wow. And, like, mm-hmm. and even even if you weren't involved in the Holocaust and you immigrated earlier, chances are you were 22. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. that's the story of my family. Like, they were leaving Russia. It was just not a good place. And they came, like, 20 years before the Holocaust. But it was all young adults that came. So that's like the version of Judaism we interact with, especially in America. Um, so I think like it just lacks, unless you start using your brain and you start studying for yourself, it lacks so much depth because you're like, you're just basing your Judaism off of like what a 20 or two year old remembers from his grandparents and parents. And like Judaism gets so much deeper, um, as you know, once you have kids, yeah. once you have grandkids, like you, you, you continue learning the lessons of Judaism, but our Judaism was cut off at the age of 22 and that's what we were receiving. So I was just had this sense of like in a reform synagogue growing up, like I was just watching like a play, like yeah. someone watched something a long time ago and like now they're trying to reenact it. And like, I didn't care cause I had never s- seen the thing yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> you were trying to reenact. Yeah. Um, but now you're in it. But now I'm in it. Uh, yeah. And I, Are you enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's such, the, there's so many like there's so many just basic pleasures just like Shabbos is great singing is great like I stopped listening to music because I just like sing to myself whenever I want to listen to music right. like the power of like the songs we sing on Shabbos like it's more than any music I've ever heard so there's like that level of pleasure and like getting to hang out with Brandon is a big pleasure of uh, <laughs> of Judaism um, it's definitely one of the highlights of being here 
Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been, been a big one. Um, but there's like such a deeper pleasure of like w- what I do actually like intellectually makes sense now, and like when I struggle with what I do, it intellectually makes sense also. Like before, I was like a nice guy, and like I I believed in helping people out, but um, I really like. Without God, there is no right or wrong. So, like, you can do the right thing, and you feel like, yeah. Like, well, you make it, there is, in your mind, right or wrong, but you make it up. Right. Right. There's no. And so it lacks, like, a, there's a certain pleasure that's lacking when that's the case. Like, okay, like, I'm doing this thing, and it feels good, but, like, I know it's kind of pointless. And so you try your best not to, like, interact with that feeling of, oh, it's really pointless if I think about it too much, to, like, oh, the more I think about it, the more motivated I get. Yeah. Like, if I'm ever feeling down, like, just think. Like, <laughs> just stop and think about my life. And then I, like, like before, if you stopped and thought about your life, it was like, don't do that. <laughs> 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 I was like, oh, I'm just a bunch of atoms, and, like, you know, one yeah. day I'll just, like, rot. Yeah, yeah worms, like, we eat, worms will eat you. Right, don't think about that. Don't. So, like, when things slow down, you start to think, you're like, you run away. But here, like, slowing down and thinking is my best friend. Yeah. Well, okay, so before we wrap up, I'm curious, you've developed some very cool things, but you want to talk a little bit about what you've designed in the past, but I'm really curious about how you're going to bring it all together if you've thought about it on, on what's mm. next. So uh, as an engineer, I had uh, I didn't have a professional career after college, but in college, um, I had a few really cool projects. I made um, I worked for a sewer inspection company. I made robots that inspect sewers, and then after I got a lot of great experience at that company and was able to work on a lunar rover project, and uh, that that rover will hopefully lo- be launching to the moon next year. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. It's yours. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, I started just like volunteering for the project, doing like really kind of grunt work. But uh, the bo- the head of the project liked me. The professor in charge of it liked me. It was with uh, Carnegie Mellon University, and I went from like head of so just like volunteer to like head of the main kind of like body, like the chassis of the rover. To eventually, like, that summer, I was like, I think I'm ready to be, like, head of the whole mechanical engineering. Um, so that summer, the next fall, I almost I designed most of the rover. Um, so the there was one guy that was like, really good with carbon fiber, so I just let him do the carbon fiber parts. But it's good to delegate. Most of the aluminum on the robot I designed myself. Um, and, like, of course, my team was amazing and, like, a lot of help from them. Um, but I, I definitely had my hands all over this rover. And um, it's going to be the first rover to look for water under the surface of the lunar soil. So it has Ever? Like, yeah. And it's also going to be the first autonomous lunar rover if it launches on time and, like, no one else... How much, does it cost to ma- how much does it cost to make this? That was the big uh, crazy thing about this is only, like, um, $6 million for the whole project. If right. we were to make a, a second copy of the rover, it would be $40,000 maybe. Right. Wow. Um, whereas, like, most of the rovers have been hundreds of millions of dollars. The ones on Mars... Yeah, so we had an extra engineering challenge of, like, using stock parts and stock electronics and, like, how to protect them and shield them. That is unbelievable. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. So then the question is, is, is this, are you going to go back to this? How, what's your, what are you thinking? You it's don't have hard. to answer it's, right now. It's, it's a really hard question. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out what the world needs. Like, I know the, very clearly the world needs a lot of Torah. Um, I have an engineering skill set. Um, my friend... Yeah, my Christian friend Brad said to me recently, like, like before I like we started talking, like you just saw everything physical. Like you thought the only way to help the world was physical, and so like that is the skill set I have. I have a physical skill set, and I no longer feel that the world primarily needs physical help. So, um, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out like what 
if there's some way to like provide non-physical health with physical skills. But put a chabad on the moon. So when astronauts, a Jewish astronauts come up, they can wrap the door. They're already there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell our viewer? First of all, I don't know, maybe advice you have about what it's like in yeshiva or about why why you came to yeshiva. Just final tip or, or lesson you'd like to share. Um, yeah, I think I think something that everyone has a responsibility to in life is to think about like we can all imagine something that like we just think is wrong, like like punching a puppy is wrong and like there's no there's no way to like explain that punching a puppy is a good thing right. so like imagine whatever your thing is it's like that's just totally wrong like you should be able to think about like how do i know how do i know it's wrong um and be able to explain that that should be clear to you and really think about that because that's going to be your fuel to being a good person um so i, I don't think that's something where people sit on that much and um and in general, just like stopping and thinking and asking, like, how do I know this? Like, how do I, how did I come to this? Like, I love, uh, my favorite thing about engineering was always that um, I almost feel like I'm talking to God when I do it. Even before I was religious, like, you have this sense of, like, I make this thing, I put my effort into it. And I say, like, okay, what do you think, universe? What do you think, God? And he's like, no. <laughs> 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 and, like, okay, like, I get the message. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, it always made you, like, very honest. And, like, you always had to think. Like, if you didn't think, like, God would show you how you were wrong. Like, mm. um, so I think, like, checking yourself, thinking, and, like, I think thinking is your best friend. How but do we know? That's excellent. Would you recommend for other Jewish young men to come to yeshiva? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine anything better. Yeah. Because um, most, most. We didn't pay him to say this. No, no, but most American men, the young men, they graduate high school and their thought is, well, we have to go to college. And I'm not so sure, I'm not so sure college is the place to go anymore. I think what's become very clear is like, when you look at, like I've now experienced a lot of people leaving yeshiva. And like, I've never heard a good reason for someone leaving yeshiva. <laughs> <laughs> um, the best ones are, I have to because of some very unfortunate situation. Mm -hmm. um, the others are generally just like, really? Like, you chose that, like, um, you know, promises of like girlfriends and money and like, yeah. like really like that's, that's uh, what you're trading. Um, I think about like the money thing is the biggest people, people are pursuing money in a lot of ways and that drives them out of yeshiva. And I always thought about this, like I saw this in my family cause like my granddad got divorced, my, my parents got divorced and like the number one cost that people face i think is is family issues yeah. like um children that have issues divorce like if you get divorced your money is now cut in half. half right so if you could do anything to think through your life and plan your life to avoid that you've now doubled your money and so like and i think there's some good classes on marriage and dating at age isn't there yeah i've heard that uh, <laughs> the coach gives so um even from a financial perspective which is maybe the thing that yeshiva butts up with against the most i think it pays dividends over dividends right like, I'm happier now with a Gamar than on a, you know, yacht trip that would cost a million dollars. Right. That a good ski trip could be pretty fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to do what podcast from the, from the slopes of Vale, don't we? I think we need to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Andrew, it's such a pleasure to have yeah, you. Thank There's you so much. much. we can talk about. But yeah, thank you for joining us. Okay. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Living in Clarity podcast. If you enjoy what you just heard, make sure you like, subscribe, and comment with any suggestions for future episodes. We'll see you next time.